Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Last week uh, I began... Uh, what at the time I didn't realize was going to be a little bit of a, a mini-series. At least I think it's going to be many. We'll see. Um, it's entitled Setbacks and Setups, which I totally stole that title from a message, a text message that Pastor Ron sent me earlier in the week. So Pastor Ron, thank you for the idea. Setup and Setbacks is the name of, of these, these last week's message and this week's message. Um, but I want to talk a little bit with you today about setbacks and setups. Those times in our life that feel like we're going through those dark seasons and see how God uses those seasons. So again, if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start in verse 1. Very familiar passage here that we're going to read. So starting in verse 1. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He worked for all of his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Beliah and Zilpah. When Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. Joseph apparently was a little bit of a tattletale. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. How many favorites do we have in the room this morning? Any other favorites in the room? One on the front row, Justin. Okay, I see the hands going up. Listen, it's all right. I'm the favorite too. I get it. It's a hard life being the favorite in the family. It really is. Joseph, Joseph was the favorite. He was loved. Jacob didn't even try to hide it, right? At least my parents tried to, you know, hide it a little bit. Jacob didn't even try to hide it, right? Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children, that's a strong, sorry, I don't mean to harp on this. That's just a strong word. He loved Joseph, not just liked him more. He loved Joseph more than all of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Both his brothers hated Joseph because, of their, fa- because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. I just want to point out at the beginning of this story that Joseph was actually in a pretty good stage in his life. He's 17 years old. He's young. He has his whole future ahead of him. His, he's the favorite sibling, right? So his dad favors him uh, and loves him in his household. His dad honors him with a really sweet robe, right? The, the coat of many colors, uh, which really is just bestowing just such an honor upon his son, um, Lots of, lots of cultural implications there that we're not going to get into this morning. But just in a really good place in his life. And then God starts pouring dreams into Joseph. Dreams about his future. That, jo- that Joseph is going to be a leader of his family. He's going to be a leader uh, in the nation. And, and, uh, and, and just God just pouring all of these dreams into Joseph as this young 17-year-old boy. Just in a really good situation in his life. And then in one moment, everything changed. Everything changed. 
he's, he's on a good path. And then in one moment, the, the entire trajectory of his life shifts. Even though he's in a good place in his life, Joseph has several brothers who are envious and they're jealous of Joseph and the love that their father has for him and the success and the favor that is on Joseph. So they, you all know the story. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in the details of the story this morning. But the brothers make this plot at first to kill Joseph. But later on, they decide instead to sell him into slavery. And then they set up this this, uh, this scheme to tell their dad to fake his death, to make their dad believe that Joseph had been killed. And so they sell Joseph into slavery. And he goes from being in an incredible place in his life, being God pouring out dreams and visions, favor from his father, all of these things, all these incredible things. In one moment, he goes from that into slavery, into a dark, difficult season. How many of you can relate to that? Life is going good. Everything is fantastic. The kids are healthy and doing well. Life is good. And then in one moment, one day, one conversation, one phone call, everything changes. You go from being in an incredible place to a dark place. We one time when I was just out of high school, some friends and, and myself, Amber came along as well. We decided we were going to go to Cedar Point. So we got in the car. We drove to Cedar Point. We stayed in a tent, did all the things. Then uh, it was late. We were ready to head back. So we get in the car. We're heading back. And as most of you know, Cedar Point's in Ohio. So we're coming through. And about the time we crossed the border from Ohio to, into Indiana, um, I, I see the sign, welcome to Indiana. And I'm like, awesome, we're, we're getting close, right? So I shut my eyes and, and I'm, I start to fall asleep. I drift away. I don't know how long I was asleep, 20, 30, 40 minutes, somewhere in there. And uh, about the time I start kind of opening my eyes again, I look out the window and I see a sign that says, welcome to Ohio. And I thought, wait a second. <laughs> I'm not real good at geography, but... I'm pretty sure if we're leaving Ohio, we, there, we shouldn't be hooking back around into Ohio to come back home. And come to find out, all of the passengers in the vehicle had fallen asleep, and uh, the driver got a little turned around and had been driving basically in circles. <laughs> and what, I don't know how long it takes to get to Cedar Point. I haven't been there in a while, but it's maybe a three, four-hour trip. Ended up taking like six, seven hours to get home from this trip. took a wrong turn, right, in a moment. Often when we find ourselves in these situations, not necessarily that one, I was trying to lighten it up a little bit, but dark, heavy situations, often when we find ourselves in these situations, one of two things happens. One thing that often happens is we begin to blame God. We blame God for the dark season that we're in. God, if you are good, why am I here? Why did you let this happen? We begin to blame God and we begin to wallow in self-pity. Blaming God and pitying ourselves for the situation that we're in. For some people, this is a season, 
right? It's, it's, a, it's a reaction to the moment that is happening. And maybe you go through a season of, of blaming God and self-pity, but for other people, it becomes a lifestyle. It's not just a season, it's, it's something they just can't get over. And they're, for the rest of their life, their whole life is marked by just wallowing in self-pity and unforgiveness to God. So that's one way we react sometimes to, to dark seasons like this. Another thing that often happens is this, is we begin to say things like, God is just teaching me something in this season. How many of you have ever said that before? You go through a hard season and you're like, man, God is just knocking off the rough edges in this, right? I'm going to get through this. He's just testing me. I'm in a testing period, right? He is the potter. I am the clay, right? And we go through, and, and often it's one of those two things. We're either wallowing in self-pity or we're pressing forward, believing that God is just taking us through this to knock off some rough edges. And, and I will, will clarify and say this, that that is absolutely sometimes what happens, is God will use a hard and difficult season to mature you and to, to uh, bring you into a place where you can take on the responsibility and the vision that he has planted on the inside of you. That absolutely happens. But what if there's a third option? What if there is another reason that you have been put in this situation, this difficult place, this difficult situation? What if there is a third option in this story? I want to show this to you in the story of Joseph. When Joseph is sold into slavery, he is taken to Egypt, and he's purchased by a high-ranking officer there under Pharaoh, the captain of the guard named Potiphar. Look at what happens. Look at what the word says when Joseph goes to live under Potiphar's house as a slave. Let's look here in Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39 verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household, and look at this, and everything he owned... From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, right here, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for what? Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned, with Joseph there, he didn't worry, Potiphar, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph, in a moment, is taken from his utopian home where everything is going perfect, sold into slavery, under Potiphar in his house. And look at what the Bible tells us happened when Joseph, as a slave, goes into Potiphar's house. Instantly, everything he touches becomes gold. And Potiphar, who is a captain of the guard in a pagan nation, 
His entire household becomes blessed. Why? Just because Joseph lives in the house. Joseph lives in the house, and everything of Potiphar's household begins to prosper. God blesses a godless house just because Joseph was there. And Joseph was there not as a king, not as a leader. He was there as a slave. As a slave. And here's what I want you to see in this verse. There's a lot of people who believe, even here within our nation, that our nation can't be blessed unless we have a godly leader. But I want to ask you something. Is it possible that our nation can be blessed because you live here? Joseph was living under the command of a pagan leader. Yet the pagan leader's house was completely blessed. Why? Because Joseph was there. Some people here this morning, you, maybe, you, maybe you even live in a house where your spouse isn't a believer and you're worried that your house can't be blessed. But what if your house can be overly blessed? Let, let me say it this way. Your house is a tabernacle of his presence. Why? Because you're there. Because you live there. Some of you maybe are wondering as, as a teacher, as, a, as, a, as an educator, how can my school be blessed if they're bringing in perverse curriculum into the mix. But what if your school can be turned because you're there? Your city, I put it this way, your city may be the drug capital of the world, but if the sons and daughters of God are there, then the city has everything it needs to succeed. Joseph went as a slave and Potiphar's entire household was blessed. His entire household was blessed. Even as a slave, things were going well for Joseph, right? But it wasn't long before something else happened. He's instantly taken away from his home, sold into slavery, dark season, that season begins to turn around as the Lord begins to bless Potiphar's house. And then it wasn't long until after that he goes into another dark season because the Bible actually says this, that Joseph was a well-built, good-looking man. If you remember, Joseph is Rachel's son. We talked about Rachel and Leah last week. Leah was the weak-eyed one. Rachel apparently was beautiful. So Joseph is Rachel's son, and apparently he got some of Rachel's genes and Joseph is a good-looking, well-built man, the Bible tells us. And Potiphar's wife begins to notice Joseph. We all know the story. Potiphar's wife begins to notice Joseph. So jo Potiphar's wife chases after Joseph, wants to sleep with him. But Joseph, of course, refuses the Bible says that he turns and runs out of the house. As he turns and runs out of the house, Potiphar's wife grabs his cloak. Jake, Joseph, or Joseph lets the cloak fall off as he takes off out the house. And then when Potiphar comes back into the home, his wife tells him that Joseph made advances towards him. And he has, she has the proof in his hand that she has his cloak with him. Goes into another deep, dark season. 
Joseph gets put into prison for a crime he didn't commit. First, he's sold into slavery. Then he's put in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. But look at what it says in Genesis chapter 39, verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his father's love or his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all of the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Even the prison becomes prosperous. Why? Because Joseph is there. Because Joseph is there. While Joseph was in prison, he meets two other guys. Both of the other men are put in the prison because the Pharaoh, they served the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh put both of them in prison. While they were in prison, both men had dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams. One of them goes free. One of them gets executed. Apparently not everybody benefits from the favor off of Joseph. (laughs) One of them gets executed. One of them goes back to serve under Potiphar. Several years later, that man or uh, the Pharaoh has a dream that none of his none of his sorcerers, none of his wise men, nobody in the land can interpret the dream and tell the Pharaoh the dream. And the man that was in the prison that Joseph interpreted the dream for remembers Joseph. Nice of him to do that several years later. Remembers Joseph and tells the Pharaoh that there is this man that's sitting in prison right now that can interpret your dream. The Pharaoh summons Joseph tells him the dream. The dream is basically there are are seven fat cows followed by seven malnourished, uh, weak cows. And the basic interpretation of the dream was that there was going to be seven prosperous years of the land of Egypt, but then following those seven prosperous years, there was going to be seven years of famine and drought. The king, of course, doesn't know what to do, and Joseph comes up with a plan and says, here's what you need to do, king. You need to, in the seven years of prosperity, gather the grain, gather the crops, store them in storehouses, and make plenty for the seven years, the lean years that are coming, the famine. The pharaoh is amazed by the wisdom of Joseph and the favor on Joseph. So guess what happens once again? Joseph gets promoted. He goes from the prison to the palace just as quickly as he went from his father's house into slavery. He gets promoted to the palace. The Bible says that he is second in command only under Pharaoh, which means everyone in the land is under Joseph's authority. But let's not forget that while Joseph is in command and he's in the palace, he still has to lead an entire nation through seven years of darkness. Which is an incredible, incredible responsibility. A massive amount of weight and burden that Joseph has to once again walk through with these people. Joseph was 17 years old when he got sold into slavery. 
He was 30 years old when placed as second in command under Pharaoh. He was 37 years old when the famine hit Egypt. And he was 44 when the famine ended. Which means this, that Joseph spent 27 years of his life going from one dark, difficult season to another. 27 years. Why was God allowing him to go through those dark, difficult seasons for such a long time? Was he just trying to develop his character? Was he just trying to knock off the rough edges? Why, was, why would God allow him to go through 27 years of dark seasons? Could it be that God was not trying to develop Joseph's character, but instead to reveal it? What if God was using this season not to shape something in him, but to reveal something in him that was there that he didn't even know was there. Let me change this question around on you now this morning. What if you are going through a dark season of your life, not because God is trying to shape something in you, but God is trying to reveal something that is already on the inside of you that you don't even know is there? Maybe Joseph found himself in the dark places because God knew that if Joseph goes into these dark places, they won't be dark for long. What if God allowed Joseph to walk through the darkness, not to prune him, but because he trusted him to be able to light up the darkness he was in? There's stories like this all throughout Scripture. David is put on a battlefield to face a giant that everyone else was afraid of, that nobody else would touch. Esther is forced to leave her family and join the king of Persia. And the Bible says it was done for such a time as this because Esther was in the palace, because she was there, the entire Jewish people were saved from extinction. Ezekiel has a vision where he is placed in a valley of dry bones, a completely hopeless place. But by the end of the vision, the valley of dry bones, the dry bones were standing on their feet, a vast army filled with the spirit and the life of God. Paul and Silas were put in jail and began worshiping in the jail. The ground begins to shake and all of their chains are loose and the doors open. The guard sees the door open and assumes that everybody has escaped. And for fear of the consequences, he is about to commit suicide. Paul stops him, reassures him that they're there. And because of them being in the jail, that guard and his entire family are saved and then baptized. Because Paul and Silas went to a dark place and what was in them came out and they lit the place a few weeks ago, we talked about Naaman, the story of Naaman. And within that story, there's these two verses 
Just two verses where it mentions a young slave girl. Doesn't tell us her name, doesn't tell us anything else about her other than that Naaman, under his leadership, her town was raided and she was taken captive, stolen from her family, stolen from her home, stolen from her land, and put into slavery under Naaman's house, the very person who took her. Some scholars believe, most would say that she was probably around 12 years old when this happened. 12 years old. Put in the darkest, probably the darkest place in her life, the darkest season of her life. But when Naaman was sick, that little slave girl held the key to to his healing. She could have very easily kept her mouth closed. She could have very easily just wallowed in her own self-pity. But instead, she says, Naaman, I know a man that you need to go see. I know a man that can make you whole again. And in a difficult, dark season, this 12-year-old slave girl that we don't even know her name, instead of wallowing in her pity, chose instead to light up the darkness that she was in. What if God is putting you in a season or allowing you to go through a season where it is dark and difficult, not to build something in you, but to reveal something in you? All of these men and women were thrown into dark situations. Every one of them could have looked at that situation and despaired given and given up. They could have viewed the situation as something to get out of, But instead, they viewed it as an opportunity to show the power of God. What if the situation you are in now, you're not there because the devil is after you, but because God trusts you to light it up? Maybe you are there because he needs someone with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, living on the inside of them, to come and to raise the dead things around them. Maybe you're the answer to the dry bones. Maybe you're in a desert place because the desert needs the river that is on the inside of you. What if you're the answer to the culture of your workplace? What if you're the answer to your lost family members? What if the school that you're in has been waiting for a teacher with an anointing to help the hardest kids in the city? What if the city that you are in is waiting for a man or a woman that can break the spirit of oppression that is in the city? What if the country, what if the United States of America is waiting for a follower of Jesus filled with hope instead of one filled with fear and criticism. It's a term I hear often is that, man, it's so dark out there. You get in a conversation with somebody, they find out you're a Christian, and then somehow it gets into talking about the nation and things, and every single time, man, it's just so dark. It's just so dark. 
What if we are so mesmerized by the darkness that we forget that we are the light of the world? Jesus first said that he was the light of the world, and then he turns around and looks at his disciples, and he says, you are the light of the world. What does that mean? That means if there's darkness, it's because you're not lighting it up. What if our country is waiting to be lit up by the sons and daughters of God? One of the things I hate the most about popular end times theology, and believe me, there are a lot of things that I hate about popular end times theology. But one of the things I hate the most is that it excuses us from being the light of the world. It's much easier to point out darkness and call it a sign than it is to light up the darkness. It's much easier to sit back and criticize and complain and worry and fret and fear than it is to realize that I am a son and a daughter of God who has been anointed for a time such as this, not to complain about the world I live in, but instead to go and to light it up with the love and the light of Jesus. What if we are here now for this moment because God trusts us with the darkness that is in the world? What if you and I are the answer? Psalms chapter one. Psalms chapter one, let me grab this here. Psalms chapter 1 describes those who are planted by the Lord. It says, what delight comes to the one who follows God's ways. He won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share in the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. That one hit me hard this week as I was reading that. The word scorner, this is what the definition of a scorner is. A person who expresses contempt or disdain for someone or something. But the one who is planted by the Lord, it says, he won't be found sitting in the seat of the scorner. He won't be one found who is expressing contempt or disdain for other people and for situations around you. Now, here's what it says happens instead. It says, his pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am, meditating day and night in the true revelation of light. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree, planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, and listen to this, bearing fruit in every season of his life. Every season. Every season. In the good seasons and in the dark seasons, you can look at the one planted by the Lord and you 
can eat of its fruits in every season. Joseph was trusted for 27 years to face dark situations because the Lord knew that even in dark seasons, he would bear fruit. He would bear fruit. Church, I want to be someone who bears fruit in every season. I don't want to follow the path of sinners, that's obvious, but I also don't want to sit in the scene of the scornful and just sit back and complain and criticize and do all of the things towards the darkness that's all around me. Instead, I want to be a tree planted by the river who bears fruit in every single season of life. Every season of life. What's amazing about this story of Joseph is we all hear this, this word or this scripture, we use it all the time. I, I say it all the time from the platform and a lot of times talking to different people and we've all said it, we've all heard it. It's that God uses what the enemy meant for evil for good. How many of you have heard that scripture? You have if you've sat here long enough, enough Sundays. That what the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. Do you know where that scripture comes from? Jesus says it later on in the New Testament, or maybe Paul actually that writes it. But do you know where that, that verse originated from? Joseph's story. At the end of Joseph's life, his brothers come to him. There's a whole long story there, but his brothers finally realize who he is and they're in fear for their life. They're afraid Joseph is going to exact revenge upon them. So they come before Joseph, trembling before him. They bow low before him, and they're, they're offering, they're, they're uh, repenting before him. And Joseph looks at them, and he says, listen, let me, let me just read it right here. In verse uh, chapter 50, Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, this is what Joseph says to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Pay attention to the words here. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Often when we hear this verse, we, we think that God is going to turn the situation around for good. And absolutely, God does turn the situation around for good. But look at the context of this scripture. God does turn the situation around for good, but how does he do it? Through Joseph. God sent Joseph to that place. And because of Joseph being there, it was Joseph who fed the people in the darkest seven years of their lives. Let me say it this way. What if you are the good God uses to overturn evil? Yes, God is going to turn all things for good. Everything we go through, anything the enemy met for evil, he will turn for good. But wait, what if you are the good that he uses to turn what the enemy met for evil for good?
It's a new perspective this morning. It's a new perspective. And in order to be able to walk in that new perspective, we have to come to the realization of our identity of who we are in Christ. That you are a son and daughter of God. That you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. That you are anointed for a time as this. It's not an accident you are on planet earth right now. And whatever personal situation that we're finding ourselves in around us, maybe, just maybe, you have been entrusted with that situation because God knows what's inside of you. And it's not just knocking off rough edges, but it's revealing the power of God that's inside of you. So I want to encourage you this morning. Let's light it up. You are the light of the world. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your presence that was so powerfully here this morning. God, we won't ever take it lightly that you come and you manifest yourself in the way that you do. Father, I just pray over every heart here this morning in whatever situation that we find ourselves in, God, that you would just give the people here the courage to see things the way that you see things to see themselves the way that you see them, Jesus. And Father, that we would begin responding and reacting, not out of fear, not out of reaction, but Father, out of who we are in Jesus. God, I'm thankful that this room is full of people who are world changers, that have the power of God living on the inside of them. Father, I pray that 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 what is on the inside of them would begin to manifest on the outside of them. And Father, whatever dark season we find ourselves in, Father, that that place, that season, that situation would change because of what you have put on the inside of us. God, we honor you. We bless you today. In Jesus' holy name, I pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.